0: I want to continue this study that we started a couple weeks back when we looked at baptism as we study the ordinances of the local church. So we looked at baptism two weeks ago and we'll look at the Lord's Supper today. Uh, And mainly we want to look at that out of this passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through 34. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us. And, And then we'll read this passage together. So please pray with me. Father, thank you for the gift of of allowing us, God, to assemble together as your church, to worship your holy name, to open your word, God, and have a chance that you might speak to us this morning through your word. Thank you, God, for this gift that you've given. And God, I pray that you would please help us. Lord, when it comes down to it, it's you that we want. It's your voice, God, that we want to hear. It's your truth, God, that we want to meditate in, Lord, and experience your presence, God, through your word. It's you, Lord. Lord, God, we're just saying that to you, none but you, Jesus, none but Christ. There's no one like you, Lord, in heaven and on earth, God, there's none like you. And ultimately, Lord, we just want you. We want your presence. We want more of you. We want you, God, to draw near to us. So please, God, during this time, as we meditate on your word together, help us, please, God, come and draw near to us, Lord. God, I thank you in advance for your help. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read verse 17 through 34 together. So get your eyes right there on verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we are not so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together it will not be for judgment about the other things I will give directions when I come. So I want to begin our time in this passage and talk about the Lord's Supper, just uh, highlighting the importance of the ordinances of the local church. This, in a lot of ways, is the review from what we looked at a couple weeks back when we looked at the ordinance of baptism. We talked about the, or- the importance of the ordinances of the local church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which those which are those two ordinances. Uh, I believe often these, as I said a couple weeks back, these ordinances become, uh, they get belittled in our actions and they become uh, lightly esteemed in our hearts and the way we think about them. And the question is why? Why does that tend to happen among us? And I think it happens for many reasons. Uh, I want to remind us uh, of of a, a major reason that undergirds the reason that we would lightly esteem the Lord's Supper and baptism Uh, Just something that I said last week was spiritual warfare, right? A couple weeks back, spiritual warfare is being the reason, a reason, that these things are lightly esteemed among us. Think about it like this. Satan hates the church, right? Revelation 12, verse 17, it says that Satan makes war on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Satan hates the church. Satan does not want you to be a Christian at all. But he would much rather you be a Lone Ranger Christian than to be a church shaped Christian. Okay? Let me tell you why I'm telling you that. Okay? Think think about Ephesians 5, the way Jesus thinks about his church. He loved the church and he gave himself for her. He he loves the church. He wants to see you as a church shaped Christian. Or think about uh, the way it talks about in 1 Corinthians 5 the church being, uh, a person being put out from a local church is called this. It, it, it's called being delivered unto Satan delivered unto Satan is to be separated out from the church and so you have these two ordinances baptism and the Lord's Supper that play a major role in marking out the church from the world the church is those the, the church is those baptized ones those ones that partake of the Lord's Supper that's what you think about the church the baptized ones that come together and partake of Of the Lord's Supper together. And since Satan hates the church. He hates these ordinances that bind us together. Since he makes war on the church. And he does. He makes war on these ordinances. That bind us together. He does this through many different schemes. And through these schemes. He belittles them in our actions. And he he causes them to be lightly esteemed. In our hearts And in our minds. I think we need to be aware of that because the Bible does not do that. The Bible lifts these ordinances up of of baptism and the Lord's Supper as very, very important. I hope I proved that to you last week or a couple weeks back in baptism. And I hope to prove that to you this week that it's very, very important. It even says in the passage that we just read that God killed some Christians for not taking this seriously, for partaking in an unworthy manner. So that's a very, very serious thing. Throughout church history, We've seen that the Lord's Supper and these ordinances, both of these ordinances, have been taken very, very seriously. People, men and women, have given their lives to burn at the stake for not uh, changing or not recanting their biblical convictions about these ordinances. Just to give you one such example, there's a guy named John Rogers, uh, a man who lived in the 1500s. He was the first martyr in England. Under the reign of bloody Mary. His name was John Rogers. This man was burned at the stake. Think about it. Burned at the stake. With his wife and ten children watching on, burned at the stake because he would not recant his position and his convictions from God's word about the Lord's Supper. There was a conversation uh, that went something like this. One of the officers that executed him, John Rogers, he he said this. He, he said he wanted him to revoke. His abominable doctrine and his evil opinion of the sacrifice of mass. It's talking about his opinion on the Lord's Supper. He wants him to revoke that. He wants him to recant to which John Rogers responded like this. That which I have preached, I will seal with my own blood. And that sounds like another world to us. That sounds like another another universe, right? But what's going on? Why don't why don't we think of them in a serious way like this? Could it be that these things have been belittled in our hearts or lightly esteemed in our hearts by the work of the enemy? Another example example is a guy named John Holier. He was of the similar similar time period. Uh, this man was also burned at the stake for the same reasons for his convictions on the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. He was chained to a pitch barrel. The fire was lit on this man. And you imagine as the fire begins to burn. And he begins to burn in that flame. People begin to take books and throw them into the flame. To throw them into the fire. Books that express the convictions that he has. One such book that was thrown in was called the communion service. About the Lord's Supper. John Hullier as he is burning catches it. Catches the book holds it up above the flames and begins to read it out loud for all to hear until his eyes are consumed in the, in the fire. And at that point, he brings it in close to his chest and he begins to praise God and thank Him for giving him this gift in the last moments of his life. These people took it serious. And my hope is as you think about that, you think about these examples, as we look at God's Word today, that we too would take this more serious than when we walked in. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to consider this from the passage we just read in 1 Corinthians 11. So let me give you just a quick overview of not only the passage, but just this letter as a whole. Okay, this letter, 1 Corinthians, is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. According to Acts 18, Paul had planted this church. Uh, He planted it. He spent at least a year and a half with this church. So he knew them. He knew this church. If you read this letter, the whole letter, you see that he loves them deeply. Paul loved the church at Corinth very deeply. Yet he had some very, very hard things to say to them because of sin that was in this local church. Now, most of this letter is a response from Paul to reports that have come to him about the church and to questions that have come to him from the church. So most of this letter is a response. If you read through it carefully, you can find places where it says, like in chapter 1, he says, I've heard it reported from Chloe's household. And he speaks about the division that's there among them in chapter 1. You can see it in chapter 5. five I've heard it reported This sexual immorality is in your midst. And he begins to rebuke them for the way they've dealt with this person that was walking in sexual morality in their midst—you can see in chapter seven, verse one, where where he began, he says, "Now concerning the the things that you wrote to me," and one after one, in chapter seven, in chapter eight, in chapter twelve, in chapter sixteen, we see him writing in this letter responses to to what these people have asked him. Okay, and you see the same thing in chapter eleven. So the passage we just read—if you look at verse eighteen—it says. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear. So this is the response. He's responding to something he is that has been reported to him. Something that he is he's had brought to his attention. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. And it and it goes on. So this section of scripture we're reading is a response to the reports that have come to him, to him about this local church. So let's let's just take this section, verse seventeen through thirty-four of chapter eleven. And let's just, before we dig into the details, let's just get let's zoom out, get a big picture of the overview of this passage of Scripture. He is confronting them in their sin, and He's specifically confronting them in sin that has led them to misuse the Lord's Supper. There's four sections that can be found here, and that's lined out on your study guide. There's four sections that can be lined out here. Number one is the first paragraph, verse 17 through 22. And there we see the corporate, the corporate rebuke. He is rebuking them corporately as a church. You see this phrase. We'll look at them in a minute, but you see it over and over again. When you come together as a church, when you come together as a church, He is rebuking them corporately as a church. It's a good thing to think like that, to think corporate thoughts, because we are Christians that God calls to be church-shaped Christians. It's not just how am I doing, how are you doing, but how are we doing to think corporately as a biblical thing. And here we see a corporate rebuke. Going to the Corinthian church in the first paragraph. Number two. The second paragraph. Verse 23 through 26. We see plain instructions. Like a foundation being laid. Plain instructions are given. Concerning the origin and the meaning. Of the Lord's Supper. Third paragraph. Number three. Verses 27 through 32. We see a call for an individual response. To this corporate problem. Here's what I mean by an individual response. Verse 27. This is the individual response. I've already rebuked the sin. Now here's what I'm calling you to do. It's an individual call to respond. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks a cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So saying, Whoever. Which individual does that? Verse 28. Let a person examine himself. Again, individual response. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning The body. So what I'm getting at is there's this individual response that he calls them to after he has given a corporate to the whole church. A corporate rebuke. I believe there's something to learn from that. That corporate problems whether it be weaknesses, ex- uh, sin, etc., are rarely ever dealt with from this top-down mindset. Like, we've got this weakness, we've got this sin, so let's create a program and fix it. It never works that way. It's always a call to individuals to have a change of heart, individuals to repent, or individuals to grow. It's an individual response to a corporate problem. You see that example here. As Paul calls them not, he doesn't tell the leadership, hey, leadership, fix this problem in the order and the way you do the Lord's Supper. He calls individuals in the church to repent, to turn from sin and to change their heart. Fourth section here, it's a call for, he zooms back out, it's a call for a corporate response. You see that in verse 33? So then, my brothers, so he zooms back out to a corporate response. My brothers. When you come together to eat. some Somebody coming together corporately. Wait for one another. We're talking about one another. My brothers, when you come together, one another. it's a He calls them into this corporate response. So this is our sections laid out. And we're about to dig into this. And I want us to understand in a deeper way the meaning behind the Lord's Supper. And catch some, some warnings that are attached to it as we move into this time. Now overall, I think overall in this passage of Scripture... Here's one thing that I want to just, I just want to highlight this on the way in, is that there's an importance that's this given here to the gathering of the local church. There's a great importance given here to the gathering, the meeting, the assembling together of the local church. Let me just highlight these phrases I mentioned a minute ago. In verse 17, do you see it? It says, when you come together, he's writing to the church, whenever you meet together, the meeting of the local church. He repeats it in verse 18. Look at it. When you come together as a church. He's highlighting that gathering. Look down in verse 20. When you come together. When you come together. Verse 33, we just read it. Same thing. When you come together to eat. It's this idea of coming together. Together, this, it places a big importance on the gathering of the local church. You see this other places in this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, whenever you come together in the power of the Lord Jesus. That's the way he thinks about the gathering of the local church. You come together with the power of the Lord Jesus. You see that in chapter 14 as he begins to correct the way that this church meets together because it's important to him. You see in chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, he says, when you come together on the first day of the week, and he tells them to gather these resources together for the advancement of his gospel, for the glory of his name. So you see the importance on this coming together. You see the same thing throughout the rest of the Bible, right? Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 24, 25. It says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. But exhort one one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. It places a weight on the gathering of the saints. In Acts 2 verse 42 it says the early church devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. To the fellowship. To the breaking of bread. To the prayers. That's That's a devotion. Not just to the gathering. But certainly to the gathering of the saints. When the word is taught. And the Lord's Supper is practiced. So I want us to see that as a very important thing. I think in this culture, I'm mentioning that because I think in this culture, that's been devalued in some ways. I think it's probably been devalued mainly because of sin in our hearts that makes us want to do a pretended Christianity, a lone ranger Christianity, rather than a church-shaped Christianity. Um, But I think just to give the benefit of the doubt, I think also we can say that in a lot of ways, this mindset of a, a devaluing of the assembling of the saints... It can also be credited to maybe a reaction doctrine, a reaction against what we may have seen in the past of a Sunday only religion. Uh, my religion is just I show up on Sunday, do my religious thing. I know nothing of God throughout the rest of the week. I'll meet him again on Sunday. And maybe it's a kick against that in some ways. We might overreact, over respond to that. And we don't see the importance of the gathering of. Of the saints, and so as we go into that, I want you to see that as an important—the importance of the gathering of the saints, and specifically as they come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. Let's go to uh, this first paragraph: the corporate rebuke, and digging a little bit deeper in verse 17 through 22. So this is a corporate rebuke. Whenever you come together, whenever you come together, whenever you come together as a church—a corporate rebuke here. <clears throat> now, what is the sin? That he is rebuking. What's the sin that he's rebuking in this first paragraph, verse 17 through 22? Is it that their liturgy is off? Is that what it is? Is it their their order of service, their church service and the order of their service needs to be corrected, especially as they do the Lord's Supper? Is, is that what he is correcting here? And I hope you see that the answer is no. That's not what he's correcting. He is correcting sin. He's rebuking sin. Not just order, but sin in this passage, this passage of scripture. So what sin is being confronted? And here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to describe the sin to you and then show you the words in this paragraph, the specific words in this paragraph that make me see that this is the sin that he is confronting. So I would summarize it like this. It's a divisiveness rooted in pride and selfishness in this church. It's a lovelessness towards the body of Christ, towards the church of Jesus Christ that leads to misuse of the Lord's Supper. So let me say that again. What is the sin he's correcting? A divisiveness among them rooted in pride and selfishness. A lovelessness towards the body of Christ that leads towards a misuse of the Lord's Supper. Some specific words where you see that, if you look at verse 17, glance at verse 17 with me excuse me, verse 18. He says, for in the first place, for in the first place, so what you're going to get here is, this is the bottom line. He's not going to say, in the first place, you need to get your order right in the way that you meet, get your liturgy in check. He doesn't say that. He's going to say, in the first place, and he's going to identify a sin. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions. That's the word where I get divisiveness from. I hear that there are divisions Divisions among you. Look down at verse 19. For there must, uh, there must be factions. There's another word of that device in this. These factions. These divides from one another. Look down at verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. It's this idea of selfishness. I'm not waiting for one another. In pride and selfishness, he goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So some are overfilled and some get nothing. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, listen to this, do you despise the church of God? That's a lovelessness towards the church of Jesus Christ. Lovelessness. And humiliate those who have nothing. You humiliate the poor, those who have nothing. What what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so what you see here is divisiveness. In this church, in these words, rooted in pride, and selfishness, lovelessness towards the body of Christ. And the fruit of these root sins is they really mess up the Lord's Supper. Now I want you to understand that. The fruit that comes out of these root sins that I'm mentioning to you, it causes them to really mess up the Lord's Supper. And that's going to be important later because when we see He calls them to examine themselves you need to understand that the examination is not are we doing the Lord's Supper right? Is the order right? But rather it's an examination of sin. Of sin in our lives. So let's just take it phrase by phrase, okay? I want us to really understand this corporate rebuke before we move on to that next paragraph. So just phrase by phrase, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. You know, some things that they did was commendable. Chapter 11, verse 2, he says, I commend you in this, but in their gathering together and specifically taking the Lord's Supper, it was not commendable. Not commendable. He says, You you gather together not for the better, but for the worse, in verse 17. Not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, you gather together, and there's a way you can gather together for the better, and there's a way you can gather up as a church for the worse. There's a way it can be beneficial, there's a way it can be harmful. There's a way it can be useful or unuseful. It can be an advantage to gather together or it can be a disadvantage. And he's saying for them, you gather together for the worse, not for the better. Glance at verse 18 and 19. As I said there, verse 18, he says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. There are divisions among you. This is seen throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 1, we see this divisiveness of I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. In chapter 6, we see this divisiveness of them uh, even suing each other. In chapter 14, we see this divisiveness of them trying to take their gift and lift themselves up above others. We see this divisiveness in them throughout the letter. And you think about that. Think about how destructive that is to a church. And think about how it doesn't make sense to take the Lord's Supper. Think about that. We're taking the Lord's Supper to honor the head, but we hate the body and this divisiveness. We love the groom, but hate his bride. That's the idea of what has the contradiction that's happening here in this church. So verse 19 this is one of the harder verses to understand in the passage. I want to explain quickly what it means. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So what does it mean and why does Paul say it right here? It means that there will be divisions or factions even, this is what he's, this is what he's saying here, that there will be factions, there'll be divisions, even in a healthy local church. Why? Because dis, the disingenuine will always migrate away from the genuine. The disingenuine, it says you're genuine. The disingenuine will always migrate away from the genuine. Let me say it another way. Let me say it another way to understand this verse. We are in a war. Satan hates the church. And he is sowing tares among the weed. He's leading believers in Christ to rebel against God. And in an unhealthy church, there's no standard of conduct or anything laid out. Then they feel comfortable there. The disingenuous feel comfortable in that kind of environment. Why? There's no standard being laid out. Nothing, it's not a healthy environment. And so you have a pseudo unity. But even, he said, even in a healthy church, there's going to be factions among you. Why? Because the disingenuous will not feel comfortable in that place where standards are laid out, standards of conduct, standards of doctrine. The disingenuous will not feel comfortable in that place. Therefore, it results in divisions. And so why does Paul say this? He's in the middle of a rebuke on divisiveness, and it's almost like he defends a, a faction in a sense. Why does he do that? I believe he's saying, look, I'm coming against this, this sin That leads to this divisiveness in your midst. But I'm not being naive. I understand that there will be divisions among you. There will be factions among you. Why? Verse 19 says, For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Keep going. Verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. They have so defiled this thing. That he's saying, when you come together for the Lord's Supper, you can't even call it that. Don't even call it the Lord's Supper. That's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. That's the idea of verse 20. Verse 21 and 22. For in eating, each one that goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. They're not waiting for another. They're neglecting the poor, neglecting each other. It's sinfulness in their souls, but trying to live out this ordinance of the Lord's Supper. So how is Paul going to take this corporate rebuke, this sin that he's exposed? How is he going to goad them in the right direction? How is he going to push them in the right direction? The first thing that he does is he reminds them in the second paragraph Verse 23-26, through he reminds them of the origin and the meaning of the Lord's Supper. The origin and the meaning of the Lord's Supper. He just gives plain instructions here. Now Paul is repeating this. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So he had already delivered this information to them. He's repeating this right now. We know that he did that again in 1 Corinthians 15. Where he says the gospel which I delivered to you. And he repeats it to them again. Now, why? Why this repetition? Why would he give this repetition here? And I believe it's because foundations must be laid and they must be kept. He noticed that this foundation of what the Lord's Supper even is and what it even means was being shaken. And so for the church of Corinth, they needed to be reminded. And so do we as Grace Community Church. We need to be reminded of these things. So here's what I want to do: seven truths are there on your study guide. Seven truths that we can see about the Lord's Supper from this paragraph, from this passage of scripture. And let's just walk walk through them, all seven of them, one at a time. Number one is this: it's from Jesus. The Lord's Supper is His idea. He initiated. He instituted the Lord's Supper. In other words, it's not an institution of man. It's not. It's not a product of church. History, but this is from God. It says in verse 27, I received from the Lord. Paul says, I received this from Jesus. It's from Christ. You can go back and read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those gospel accounts, where again we see Jesus initiating the Lord's Supper. It's his idea. It's his supper. Even in our passion, it's called the Lord's Supper. It belongs to Him. It's the Lord's and not man's. That's number one. Number two, it's a command for the church. The Lord's Supper is a command for the church and not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. Verse 24, he says, do this. In verse 25, he repeats it. Do this. Do this. It's a command. Do this in remembrance of me. We should view it as a command. Now, when? When should we do it, Lord? When should we take the Lord's Supper? In the gathering of the church. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. Whenever you come together. Whenever you come together as to a church. Whenever you come together. Over and over and over again. At the gathering of the saints. We partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a church ordinance. It's a church ordinance. It's not just individual communion with God. But it's a local church communing together with their God. With Christ who is who died to purchase them. Now, how often How often should we partake of the Lord's Supper? How often should we obey this command and do it? And there's no prescription given in the Word of do it exactly this often. We don't have any direct command of exactly how often we should do it. But we do see a frequency in God's Word from the church. We see the example of the church frequently partaking together of the Lord's Supper. In Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. In Acts 20, verse 7, it says whenever they came together on the first day of the week to break bread. That's coming together on their first day of the week, their Sunday, to break bread together. It just seems like there's a frequency there. So in light of this being a command, a command from God, why do you think in our culture it tends to be so neglected? And I've already mentioned the, the, the undergirded reality of spiritual warfare. And he hates the church and he he attacks the church. And anything that would bind the church together like... Baptism and the Lord's Supper, of course he would attack it. But what else? Why would this be so neglected, the Lord's Supper, to where we tend to not even connect the Lord's Supper and the church gathering together? Why is that? And then I want to let J.C. Ryle speak to that. J.C. Ryle says this. When we see vast numbers of churchgoers never going to the Lord's table... And nowise ashamed of their neglect of the sacrament, it is clear that there is something very wrong in the state of the churches. It is a sign either of widespread ignorance, in other words, not even understanding that idea that the, the reason, one of the reasons we strive to be there when the church comes together is why? Because we don't want to miss the table of the Lord, we don't want to miss the communion, the Lord's Supper. So he says it's either a sign of widespread ignorance or of callous indifference to a divine precept. That's J.C. Ryle. Third truth. The Lord's Supper is commemorative. It is to commemorate the death of Jesus Christ. It's to draw our attention regularly to the death of Jesus. That's what the Lord's Supper does. It is commemorative. Verse 23-25, we, we, we read that, right? It says, the bread. He mentions the bread. This is my body, which is for you. So the bread signifies, it commemorates, it points to Jesus' body, which was sacrificed for us. Or, or this is the cup. The cup. you got the bread and the cup. This cup, which is a, a sign with the, the fruit of the vine in it. It's a sign of the blood of the new covenant. His blood that was shed in the new covenant that we find ourselves in. Because Christ's blood was shed. So it's commemorative. It's meant to signify the, the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus Christ. It's commemorative. This puts the remembrance of the death of Jesus at the very center of the church. The remembrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it puts it right at the center of the gathering of the church. Don't you love that? That Jesus is more gospel-centered than you. He put it right in the middle of His church. He could have given anything he could have given a reminder of that time he calmed the sea he could have given anything like that but he says i want my church to regularly take this sign as a remembrance of the death of christ there's meaning to that now this remembrance now go with me here this remembrance is not just remembrance of the historical facts of his death although it is that but it's not just a remembrance of the historical facts that Jesus bled and Jesus died, but it's a remembrance of the spiritual realities that undergird those facts. What does it mean that he bled and died? And and this is supposed to bring us into remembrance of that. Let me show you that. In verse 24, you've got two beautiful, beautiful, beautiful words right here. Look at it. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. That's the fact. Here's the spiritual reality, which is two words, four you those are beautiful words my body which is for you that's speaking of his death not just as any death but his death is a substitution he died in your place second corinthians 5 21 god made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that means at the cross he didn't die like any other criminal He died for you. He died in your place. Your sin laid on Him. And He's wounded for your transgression. He's crushed for your iniquities. He died for you. It screams substitution. Substitution has come through the death of Christ so that we can be set free. Think about the Passover lamb. Remember that Passover lamb? Death is coming to every household. But if you'll take a lamb and you'll slaughter the lamb... And take the blood of that lamb and put it over the door. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague will not be on you to destroy you. The the lamb takes the place of the death of the person. And so Jesus comes and he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what a beautiful thing that when does Jesus, when does Jesus initiate the Lord's Supper? Right in the midst of that last Passover meal. Go read about it in Luke 22 you got this meal that always pointed to one who was coming. A lamb that would be slaughtered for our sins. And right in the midst of that, Jesus institutes another supper. Another meal that would point back to the one that's already been slaughtered for you. For you. Verse 25, we see more of this spiritual reality up under the historical facts. Verse 25, in the same way also, he took the cup... After supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Not just physical blood, but the blood of the new covenant. Not just physical blood, but that... that." blood that that gives us interest the blood of Christ that gives us interest in to that new covenant that mark us off as the new covenant people of God the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us so one thing that comes into our mind these spiritual realities as we partake of the Lord's Supper as he calls them the Corinthian church to partake of the Lord's Supper is not just check he died check he bled but all the blessings and the promises of the new covenant have been poured out on those who are in Christ eternal life given to you The Holy Spirit come to indwell you. Adopted as a son. You deserve hell, but you've been adopted as a son of the living God. Justified that the God of glory knows your sin. And yet He says, innocent, righteous in my sight. Man, it's beautiful. And we remember through the cup. Not just blood, not just physical blood. but that blood of the new covenant. All the blessings, all promises that are wrapped up in that. Alright, number four. Number four, the Lord's Supper is a time of communion with God. In other words, the Lord's Supper is not just commemorative, but it's a time of communion with God. It's not just symbolic. It is not. It is symbolic, but it's not merely symbolic. It's also a means of grace in the same sense that I spoke about a means of grace when I taught on baptism. It's a means of grace. Think about a lost person. A lost person in this room can remember facts about Jesus. They can remember facts about Jesus, but here's what they can't do. They cannot experience the presence of Christ through the Lord's Supper. A lost person cannot do that. Now how do I know communion is a means of grace in this sense? Why do I know that? Several reasons. I'll just mention them quickly and you can dig into it on your own. But how do I know it's it's communion with God? It goes past commemoration into communion. How do I know that? One is just in this word, remember. You see this word? Do this in remembrance of me. And he says it again, do this in remembrance of me. Now that word in and of itself is not remembrance the way we typically think about remembrance. It's not remembrance as if just, okay, remember that fact. The Lord's Supper wasn't given because he thought we might have some kind of amnesia for getting one to the cross. It's remembrance that produces something. It's remembrance that leads you into faith towards that God. refreshed faith and worship and joy and satisfaction in him. It's that sort of remembrance. I challenge you one day to look up remembrance in the Psalms. Just look up that word, remember, in the Psalms. And over and over again, what you see is this picture of not, I will remember the Lord. As in, I remember it, check it off. I remember that little thing he did, but I remember him to lead me into this place of worship when my soul is cast down. What do I do? I remember the name of my God. I remember my hands are lifted up in praise and worship to Him. It's it's a way to commune with God. It's remembrance as a means to worship Him. So you see, his communion with God just in the definition of that word, remember. You see it also in this. He says in this paragraph. This take and eat it. This is my body. You are being invited to eat of the body of the Lord. You're being invited to drink His blood. Now that's the same thing that's said over in John chapter six, right? In John six, he says, "Whoever eats my blood, and whoever excuse me, whoever eats my flesh, and whoever drinks my blood." And as that's explained out in John six, what you see is he doesn't mean a physical, literal. I'm going to eat the flesh of Jesus. It's not that. It's a spiritual partaking of Christ by faith that leads to satisfaction in Him. And so every time you come to the table, the Lord's Supper, we come to commune with God. We come to partake of Him spiritually by faith. Not just a bland remembrance. Maybe one other reason that I see it that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 is very important. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 calls the Lord's Supper a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. Or a communion. That's why we get that. We call the Lord's Supper communion. That's what we get it from. It's a communion. It's a fellowship. It's, that's what that word means. A participation in the body and the blood of the Lord. So we come to the Lord's table. Not merely as an empty ritual. But to draw near to Christ. To participate. Fellowship. Commune. With the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Number five. Quickly. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation. It's a proclamation. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It means it's a proclamation. The Lord's Supper is a visual sermon. It's preaching, it's a it's a a visual preaching of the gospel. In the Lord's Supper we are spoken to in the Lord's Supper but we also are those who speak through the Lord's Supper we're spoke God speaks to us says remember and he draws near to us through the Lord's Supper but we also speak it back to God that we belong to you you that it is finished you've laid down your life for us so we proclaim it together a corporate proclamation from the church of Jesus Christ number six the Lord's Supper points us to the future it says right there in chapter 11, verse 26, it says again, it says, until He comes. Until He comes. Until He comes. You see the same thing in Luke 22, where it says, He said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so you got this thing, Do we? does the Lord's Supper cause us to look back? Absolutely it does. We look back to the one who has already died for us. But it also takes our eyes and causes us to gaze, gaze into the future. The one who is coming. And when He comes, we're going to commune with Him. We're going to take of this Lord's Supper, in a sense, face to face. It's a beautiful thing. And number seven. Like baptism, as I mentioned a couple weeks back, the Lord's Supper marks off the church from the world. Marks off the church from the world. That's the church. In a sense, you could say, who's the church? The church are those baptized folks who partake of the lord's supper together that's what you can see it's what they do There's baptize folks to partake of the lord's supper together so the lord's supper marks off the church from the world this is the reason that we see the lord's supper talked about in first Corinthians 11 in the context of when they, together, when they come together when they come together when they come together when they come together it's a church ordinance that lord's supper Binds us together as a church, as one body. That's what the Lord's Supper does. And I think you see this really clearly in chapter 10. So you can flip back to 1 Corinthians 10, the verse I mentioned just a moment ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to notice, starting in verse 16. Speaking about the Lord's Supper, he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So what's going on here? He says, the bread that we break. Here's the idea. In this context, he's calling them away from these idolatrous feasts, these feasts that connect believers with the worship of idols. And he says, look, the bread that we break, the cup that we bless, the church is identified as the ones that break this bread and Bless this cup. It identifies the church from the world. And you you really see this. The church being defined by the Lord's Supper in a sense in verse 17. Look at verse 17. Because there is one bread. Think about this. Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. So on both ends you got because there is one bread. And on the end of it, you've got, for we all partake of the one bread. And in the middle, you've got, we who are many, many Christians, are one body. Notice the prominence that partaking of that one bread, that we partake of the Lord's Supper. Notice the prominence that is given to the Lord's Supper as that which takes many and makes us one. The body of Christ, the baptized ones that partake of the Lord's Supper together. And this is the reason why it doesn't make sense. For the Corinthian church to practice the Lord's Supper and yet walk in sin towards the body of Christ. It doesn't make sense. To take this ordinance which binds us together and do it in such a way that you disconnect it from the love of the body of Christ altogether. Said so It doesn't make sense that you do that. So, so here's what happens. A little review here in this paragraph. Paul gives us a foundation of, of the origin and the meaning of the Lord's Supper. So let me, with these seven truths... Let me just ask quick as we move on. Let me ask seven questions that connect to these seven truths for each one of us. Number one, do you see this as something that Jesus ordained? Do you see the Lord's Supper like that? God gave it. Christ gave it to us. Praise to the living God. He gave it to us as a gift. Number two, do you see the Lord's Supper as a command? I want to obey this command. I want to walk with. I want to walk with God, just like I would obey any other command He's given. I want to obey this command to partake of the Lord's supper, to practice the Lord's supper with the Church of Jesus Christ. Number three, do you practice it as commemoration? Are you in the habit of partaking of the Lord's supper with your flooding your mind with the memory and the remembrance of? Who Christ is and what He has done for us at the cross and the blessings poured out in the new covenant and His blood that was shed. Is it a commemoration for you? Number four, do you practice it as communion with God? Communion with Christ. Do you see it as a time not just to remember those things and check them off, but to draw near to God? To draw near to Him. I realize that that we don't do this perfect every time. And you could probably say sometimes I have. Sometimes I haven't, but listen, renew that. Renew that in your life that I want to move into seeing the Lord's Supper when we gather together, even in just a moment, is I want to commune with my Savior. Number five, do you see it as a proclamation that we as a church, is that the way you view it at Grace Community Church? We come together, take the Lord's Supper, and we proclaim something to God and to this world, that He has done something and that we belong to Him. Number six, do you see it as a way to gaze forward? Do you gaze forward to see Christ and think about that time that you'll get to perform this with Him? And number seven, do you view it as an ordinance that binds us together as a church? Do you view it that way? That kind of importance, that this binds us together as a local church. Third paragraph, verse 27 through 32. This is a call, as I said earlier, To an individual response to this corporate rebuke. Now in this passage of Scripture, verse 27 through 32, you really see the sacred seriousness that the Bible, that God puts on this ordinance. Okay? It's hard to get much more serious than the way this paragraph talks about the Lord's Supper. And I hope as we just kind of glance at it and go phrase by phrase, that that same level of sobriety would land on us as well. Okay? So let's just take it phrase by phrase. Verse 27. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So here's what we know there's a way to participate in the Lord's Supper in what's called here an unworthy manner. Now there are many ways to wrongly approach the Lord's Supper, right? You can approach it ritualistically. Okay, I'm engaged physically, but I'm not participating with my mind and heart. It's just a ritual. I can do it heretically. I can think, hey, I'm I'm participating in the Lord's Supper, and by me doing this, I'm earning my way into heaven. That's a heretical way to do it, right? You can do it hypocritically. I'm honoring Jesus with this this Lord's Supper, but I don't honor Him in my heart. But the, the, the unworthy manner that he's speaking about here is the unworthy manner in which the Corinthian church was partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's the sin. It's, it's, it's the going through the motions of the Lord's Supper, but walking in sin, and especially sin towards the body of Christ. That's the idea here. That's the unworthy manner that he's referring to. So, still, verse 27, if you partake in an unworthy manner, it says you will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, this heightens the severity of the offense. You'll be guilty of the body and the the body and the blood of the Lord. So it makes you so to protect an unworthy manner makes you guilty and of the body and the blood. What does it mean? It's heightening the severity here. It's like if if somebody saw it as an offense to trample a nation's flag, per se. Why do they see it as an offense to trample the nation's flag? Why? Is it because they are offended that you trampled that piece of cloth? No. They say you trample what it represents. And in a similar way, you're guilty concerning the body and the blood. You trample the Lord's Supper. You trample what it points to. It's heightening the severity of the offense here. Verse 28. Verse 28 says, Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now I really want to help us here. Examine yourself. Examine himself. Now this is not... Examine whether or not we are keeping the proper order in the way we do the Lord's Supper. It's not that. It's examining sin. It's examining my walking in an unworthy manner as I partake of the Lord's Supper. It's examining your heart, especially thinking towards the church. I want you to think about this verse. Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24. It's not a direct parallel, but think about in this same sort of principle. Matthew 5, 23, it says, When you bring your gift to the altar... And there, you remember that there's this strife going on between you and a brother. He says, leave your gift there. Go be reconciled with your brother and then come back and offer your gift. And in a similar way, he's saying examine yourself. You're examining sin. That's the idea This here. Now, now, hear me out here because I want us to understand this. This is not a self-examination that's meant to keep you away from the table. It's a self-examination that's meant to lead you to the table. Look, look at it in verse in Verse 28. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Do you understand that dis- distinction there? This, is, this examination is not an examination of like, it's not like this. Okay, last week I partook of the Lord's Supper. This week, let me kind of check my week and see if I earn my way into doing it again. It's not that kind of examination. This is an examination that's meant to be a preparation to lead you to the Lord's Supper. Now surely there's times that people might examine themselves and come to the conclusion they should not partake of the Lord's Supper. Surely that happens. I don't mean that. But at the root of it, it's meant to be for the church that as we move into the Lord's Supper, here's the preparation. This is part of the preparation. We examine our lives. We examine our hearts. We examine our sin, especially towards the body of christ and what that means is that makes the lord's supper every time the church does it it makes the lord's supper a purifying agent as we do it rightly it makes it a purifying agent you know jesus wants to purify his church right in Ephesians 5, he says he loved her and he gave himself for her. He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water, the work. And he might present her to himself, a holy church without spot or blemish or any such thing. He wants to sanctify and purify a church in one of those ages as, as we examine ourselves leading into the Lord's Supper. We say, God, because well, surely we identify things, right? You examine yourself. And, and one thing that does, it reminds you of your sin because you examine long enough. You're going to find sin, correct? Amen to that, everybody here? We're going to find sin as you examine yourself and you're reminded why you need the cross, which which the Lord's Supper represents, but also it causes your heart to move and say, Lord, make my life line up, my life in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, forgive me of that sin. Help me to walk with you in holiness. It's a purifying agent of the local church. Now, hold that thought. I want to come back to that in just a minute. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay? So if you eat and drink, it's another, he's telling you what it is to do it in an unworthy manner. You do it without discerning the body. One version says without honoring the body of Christ. Another Bible version says without recognizing the body. This this refers back to the sins of the first paragraph. Of this sin in their heart, especially towards the body of Christ, partaking of the Lord's Supper without discerning the body. You're trying to honor the head without honoring the body. You're honoring the head, but you dishonor the body of Christ. Here in verse 29, it says he eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, what's the judgment? What's the judgment? Look at verse 30. Here's the judgment that he's talking about. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Wow. You don't get much more serious than that, right? That the judgment of partaking in an unworthy manner is is this. Some have died. Some among you, Christian church, you've been killed by me because of this. it's, It's a discipline from God. It's very serious. Now, is this a judgment of sending us to hell? No. Keep reading. Look at verse 31 and 32. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, because we've partaken on with the matter, we are disciplined, it's disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. To the very large sense in which this is merciful from God. God has a heart to purify His church. And in mercy, sometimes He does it through discipline. It's a discipline for the people of God. So let me bring us back to this verse 31. Look at verse 31 before we move on. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. I think that's amazing. Let me tell you why. If we judge ourselves, he said, if we examine ourselves, as it said in the first verse of this paragraph, if we examine ourselves, if we, if we partake of the Lord's Supper and discerning the Lord's body, if we examine ourselves, if we judge ourselves, then the Lord's Supper will work as a purifying agent in our life week after week after week. But God says, but if we don't, He says, if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But if we don't, we will be judged. In other words, we don't purify ourselves. God will purify us through His harsh sometimes and yet merciful discipline. So I think this paragraph gives us how each individual should respond uh, to Paul's rebuke, his corporate rebuke. And... What I want to do now is these last couple verses, last two verses. And let's just, let's do what the text does. Let's zoom back out and go back to this call for a corporate response, okay? So we're thinking about us, not you as an individual as you prepare to go into the Lord's table. But us as a church. Look at verse 33 and 34. So then my brothers, so that's the corporate, my brothers. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. Okay. So pauls he's addressed the individual heart issues. Now he tells the church, look, when you come together to eat, when you come together for communion, wait for each other. In other words, don't do what I rebuked you about in the first paragraph. Don't do that. This divisiveness and selfishness and pride and loveless to the body. Don't do that. We wait for one another. It's the corporate action here. Verse 34. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. That's the second time he said that in this whole passage of scripture. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? In other words, don't treat the Lord's Supper like this common meal that's made for getting your belly full. It's not like that. This is a special set-aside thing to commemorate Christ, to commune with Christ. So that's the way that we go at it. Also in verse 34, so, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So the church of Corinth was to take this rebuke, you know, this, these instructions about their hearts and about the Lord's Supper and to take them very, very seriously. And so should we. So this is what I want to do. The obvious application today is that we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. <clears throat> I want to mention this real quick. I'm explaining to you the Lord's Supper in the context of a church that's being rebuked for doing it the wrong way. And here's what I don't want that to produce in us as we go to the Lord's table right now. This fearful, oh no, i got to examine myself. This, that's not the main point. Listen, the main point is God speaks something to us through this. We remember Jesus Christ and His death. And we get a chance. God has allowed us through the gospel to actually experience the presence of Christ and communion with Him. We get to do that right now. And so as we get ready to partake of the Lord's table, I just want to encourage you, before I you know, explain those details, I want, to, I want to just encourage you with a few things. Listen, this is going to be an integral part of our lives together God willing, for many, many years. A lot of us around here right now, Church, Grace Community Church, it's going to be an integral part of our lives for many years. You imagine that. Just think about that. Just years from now, still doing this together, still coming together as the body of Christ around the Lord's table, doing it together, seeing our children, the children are watching on, and seeing our children raised up and come to Christ, and they partake of the table too. This is going to be an integral part of our lives. So let's do this. Let's grow in the way we value the Lord's table. Let's grow in the way we value the Lord's Supper. I want us to grow together in valuing it. And here's one thing I want to mention to you. There's a guy named Horatius Bonar who wrote a hymn. And, and I want to read this hymn to you and it's about the Lord's Supper. It's about communion. And may we as a church value the Lord's Supper in the same way this man did, the same way this hymn expresses. Listen to this hymn. Here. It's about communion, it's about the Lord's Supper time of the coming together for communion. Here, O my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here, grasp with a firmer hand the eternal grace and all my weariness upon thee lean. Here, the Lord's table, here would I feed upon the bread of God. Here drink with thee the royal wine of heaven. Here would I lay aside each earthly load. Here taste afresh the calm of sin forgiven. Listen to that phrase. Taste afresh. The calm of sin forgiven. Taste it afresh as we go to the Lord's table. The calm of sin forgiven. This is the hour of banquet and song what describes the Lord's Supper. This is the heavenly table spread for me. Here let me feast and feasting still prolong the brief, bright hour of fellowship with thee. That's the way he saw the Lord's table. Brief, bright hour of fellowship with thee. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper together now. And I encourage you to value it in that same sort of way. Um, if you're here today, I don't know every face, if you're here today and you are not born again, you're not, you haven't been converted to Christ truly, if that's you, I hope you understand from what you just heard in 1 Corinthians 11 that it would be out of place for you to partake of the Lord's Supper if you're not actually a part of the church of Jesus Christ. You're not, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. Be out a place for you to participate. I, we say this every week that if you're here and you're lost, you're not in Christ. We're thankful that you're here. We praise God for you being here. But just in light of these words of pressure in the we would encourage you not to partake during this time. And I'll tell you this. We've had people, we've had at least two people that are members of this church now. That when they first started coming into these gatherings, they were drawn into the word of God. They sat through Lord's Supper after Lord's Supper after Lord's Supper and would not partake of it because of these warnings. And every time, you know what they would do? The same thing. At least I hope every time. And this is what I'm encouraging you to do if you're hearing your loss today. Let it be a time where you examine your own soul. That you consider your own eternity. That you think about your eternity in light of the judgment that's coming and the gift of Christ is there for you that you have yet to partake of. I encourage you to do that. We've had people that are members of this church right now that sat through Lord's Supper after Lord's Supper. And I believe it's a testimony to the power of this time. The God coming among us and helping us in this time. God saved their soul through that. Awakened them to their lostness and brought them to Jesus. Praise to the living God. But for Christians, everybody here who's in Christ, my brothers and sisters, we get to do this together. And let me very quickly just mention five quick reminders to you very, very quickly. Number one, examine yourself in preparation. Remember the kind of examination you walk into. Think about that Matthew 5 verse. You bring your gift to the altar. Remember this thing over here, strife, the sin. Go be reconciled and then bring your gift. It's, a, it's an examination that's meant to lead you to the table today. Begin to do that even now. I pray that that's a purifying agent for Community Church for many years to come. Number two, remember Christ through the symbols. Jesus, who he is, his death, his bloodshed, all the blessings of the new, the new covenant. Purchase with His blood. Remember Christ. Number three, pursue this as communion with Christ. Yes, I want you to feed physically on the bread, but, but, but also I want you to feed spiritually on Jesus and Him and His presence. As we go to the Lord's table right now, go after that. Pursue it that way. Pursue it that way. Number four, view this as corporate proclamation as we... We are about to proclaim something to God and the world together right now about the death the finished work of Jesus. Number five, in light of First Corinthians ten seventeen, because of one body, and because of this one bread, we partake of this one bread, we who are many are one body. I'd encourage you at some point to look around at your brothers and sisters in Christ and you give praise to God for saving souls like He's done in this church. Your brothers in Christ whom he saved. Uh, Practically, I'm I'm, going to pray for us right now. And we're going to sing a song to God. We're going to lift up our voices to him. Right, Jake? We're about to sing to him. We're going to sing to God. And at the close of that song, you're welcome to go up to these back bars and grab the bread, grab the cup, and sit back down. And you'll have time to do everything we've been talking about. And after that time goes by, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to pray us. I'm going to close us out in prayer. And we're going to sing another song to the King of Glory. And that's kind of where we're headed. Okay, nobody's going to tell you when to eat, when to drink. You do it as God leads you. So let me pray for us now. And we'll move into that time. Father, thank you that you haven't left us in a fog about this ordinance that you've blessed us with. God, help us, please. Help us to honor you in it. God, I, I praise you. I, I do believe, God, that you have. In a major way, you've kept us away, God, from some of the extreme sins that we read about and these people that defiled your Lord's Supper. And I praise you for that, God, but I pray, God, you protect us, Lord, and that you would cause us to rightly examine ourselves even now. Remind us, God, of sin and the need that we have for you, because we need you, Lord. God, let this be a purifying agent in our lives. God, line up. Give us lives, our lives, that that, that our life would line up in holiness and conduct in light of all that you've done for us, Lord. God, use these signs that you've given us, Lord, to remember what you've done right now. And Lord Jesus, give us communion with you. Your presence is so precious to us, so important to us, God, that we might experience your presence, God. A refresh, give us refresh. Faith even now. Give us worship in our souls as we sing and partake of the Lord's Supper right now. God help us. Help us to honor you in this time. God, we, we say this. This is a proclamation to you, God. We belong to you. You have finished the work, and we are those who are your church. We belong to you. And God, we want to proclaim it now to this ordinance that you bless us with. Help us, God, please, and pray, praise you, God, in advance for your help. In Jesus' name. Amen.